Part two, chapter three of the idiot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. The idiot by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Eva M. Martin. Part two, chapter three. It was now close on twelve o'clock. The prince knew that if he called at the Yepanchins now, he would only find the general, and that the latter might probably carry him straight off to Pavlovsk with him, whereas there was one visit he was most anxious to make without delay. So at the risk of missing General Yepanchin altogether, and thus postponing his visit to Pavlovsk for a day at least, the prince decided to go and look for the house he desired to find. The visit he was about to pay was, in some respects, a risky one. He was in two minds about it, but knowing that the house was in the Garachovaya, not far from the Sadovaya, he determined to go in that direction, and to try to make up his mind on the way. Arrived at the point where the Garhovaya crosses the Sadovaya, he was surprised to find how excessively agitated he was. He had no idea that his heart could beat so painfully. One house in the Garhovaya began to attract his attention long before he reached it, and the prince remembered afterwards that he had said to himself, that is the house, I'm sure of it. He came up to it, quite curious to discover whether he had guessed right, and felt that he would be disagreeably impressed to find that he had actually done so. The house was a large, gloomy-looking structure, without the slightest claim to architectural beauty, in colour a dirty green. There are a few of these old houses, built towards the end of the last century, still standing in that part of St. Petersburg, and showing little change from their original form and colour. They are solidly built, and are remarkable for the thickness of their walls, and for the fewness of their windows, many of which are covered by gratings. On the ground floor there is usually a money-changer's shop, and the owner lives over it. Without, as well as within, the houses seem inhospitable and mysterious, an impression which is difficult to explain, unless it has something to do with the actual architectural style. These houses are almost exclusively inhabited by the merchant class. Arrived at the gate, the prince looked up at the legend over it, which ran, house of rogozhin hereditary and honourable citizen he hesitated no longer but opened the glazed door at the bottom of the outer stairs and made his way up to the second story the place was dark and gloomy looking the walls of the stone staircase were painted a dull red rogozhin and his mother and brother occupied the whole of the second floor the servant who opened the door to Mushkin led him, without taking his name, through several rooms and up and down many steps until they arrived at a door, where he knocked. 
Parfion Rogozhin opened the door himself. On seeing the prince he became deadly white, and apparently fixed to the ground, so that he was more like a marble statue than a human being. The prince had expected some surprise, but Rogozhin evidently considered his visit an impossible and miraculous event. He stared with an expression almost of terror, and his lips twisted into a bewildered smile. Parfion, perhaps my visit is ill-timed. I, I can go away again if you like, said Mushkin at last, rather embarrassed. No, no, it's all right, come in, said Parfion, recollecting himself. They were evidently on quite familiar terms. In Moscow they had had many occasions of meeting. Indeed, some few of these meetings were but too vividly impressed upon their memories. They had not met now, however, for three months. The death-like pallor, and a sort of slight convulsion about the lips, had not left Rogozhin's face. Though he welcomed his guest, he was still obviously much disturbed. As he invited the prince to sit down near the table, the latter happened to turn towards him, and was startled by the strange expression on his face. A painful recollection flashed into his mind. He stood for a time looking straight at Rogozhin, whose eyes seemed to blaze like fire. At last Rogozhin smiled, though he still looked agitated and shaken. "'What are you staring at me like that for?' he muttered. "'Sit down.' The prince took a chair. "'Parfion,' he said, "'tell me honestly, did you know that I was coming to Petersburg or no?' "'Oh, I supposed you were coming,' the other replied, smiling sarcastically. "'And I was right in my supposition, you see. But how was I to know that you would come to-day?' A certain strangeness and impatience in his manner impressed the prince very forcibly. "'And if you had known that I was coming to-day, why be so irritated about it?' he asked in quiet surprise. "'Why did you ask me?' "'Because when I jumped out of the train this morning, two eyes glared at me, just as yours did a moment since.' "'Ha! And whose eyes may they have been?' said Rogozhin suspiciously. It seemed to the prince that he was trembling. "'I don't know. I thought it was a hallucination. I often have hallucinations nowadays. I feel just as I did five years ago when my fits were about to come on.' "'Well, perhaps it was a hallucination. I don't know,' said Parfion. He tried to give the prince an affectionate smile and it seemed to the latter as though, in this smile of his, something had broken, and that he could not mend it, try as he would. "'Shall you go abroad again, then?' he asked, and suddenly added, "'Do you remember when we came up in the train from Pskov together? You and your cloak and leggings, eh?' And Rogozhin burst out laughing, this time with unconcealed malice as though he were glad that he had been able to find an opportunity for giving vent to it. "'Have you quite taken up your quarters here?' asked the prince. 
yes i'm at home where else should i go to we haven't met for some time meanwhile i have heard things about you which i should not have believed to be possible what of that people will say anything said rogozhin dryly at all events you've disbanded your troop and you are living in your own house instead of being fast and loose about the place that's all very good is this house all yours or joint property it is my mother's you get to her apartments by that passage where's your brother in the other wing is he married widower why do you want to know all this the prince looked at him but said nothing he had suddenly relapsed into musing and had probably not heard the question at all rogozhin did not insist upon an answer and there was silence for a few moments i guessed which was your house from a hundred yards off said the prince at last why so i don't quite know your house has the aspect of yourself and all your family it bears the stamp of the rogozhin life but ask me why i think so and i can tell you nothing it is nonsense of course i am nervous about this kind of thing troubling me so much i had never before imagined what sort of house you would live in and yet no sooner did i set my eyes on this one than i said to myself that it must be yours really said rogozhin vaguely not taking in what the prince meant by his rather obscure remarks the room they were now sitting in was a large one lofty but dark well furnished principally with writing-tables and desks covered with papers and books a wide sofa covered with red morocco evidently served rogozhin for a bed on the table beside which the prince had been invited to seat himself lay some books one containing a marker where the reader had left off was a volume of solovius history some oil paintings in worn gilded frames hung on the walls but it was impossible to make out what subjects they represented so blackened were they by smoke and age one a life-sized portrait attracted the prince's attention it showed a man of about fifty wearing a long riding-coat of german cut he had two medals on his breast his beard was white short and thin his face yellow and wrinkled with a sly suspicious expression in the eyes that is your father is it not asked the prince yes it is replied rogozhin with an unpleasant smile as if he had expected his guest to ask the question and then to make some disagreeable remark was he one of the old believers no he went to church but to tell the truth he really preferred the old religion this was his study and is now mine why did you ask if he were an old believer are you going to be married here yes replied rogozhin starting at the unexpected question soon you know yourself it does not depend on me parfion i am not your enemy and i do not intend to oppose your intentions in any way 
I repeat this to you now, just as I said it to you once before, on a very similar occasion. When you were arranging for your projected marriage in Moscow, I did not interfere with you. You know I did not. That first time she fled to me from you, from the very altar almost, and begged me to save her from you. Afterwards she ran away from me again, and you found her and arranged your marriage with her once more. And now, I hear, she has run away from you and come to Petersburg. Is it true? Lebedeff wrote me to this effect, and that's why I came here. That you had once more arranged matters with Nastasia Filipovna, I only learned last night in the train, from a friend of yours, Zalezhev. If you wish to know... I confess I came here with an object. I wished to persuade Nastasia to go abroad for her health. She requires it. Both mind and body need a change badly. I did not intend to take her abroad myself. I was going to arrange for her to go without me. Now, I tell you honestly, Parfion, if it is true that all is made up between you, I will not so much as set eyes upon her, and I will never even come to see you again. You know quite well that I am telling the truth, because I have always been frank with you. I have never concealed my own opinion from you. I have always told you that I consider a marriage between you and her would be ruin to her. You would also be ruined, and perhaps even more hopelessly. If this marriage were to be broken off again, I admit I should be greatly pleased, but at the same time I have not the slightest intention of trying to part you. You may be quite easy in your mind, and you need not suspect me. You know yourself whether I was ever really your rival or not, even when she ran away and came to me. There, you are laughing at me. I know why you laugh. It is perfectly true that we lived apart from one another all the time, in different towns. I told you before that I did not love her with love, but with pity. You said then that you understood me. Did you really understand me or not? What hatred there is in your eyes at this moment! I came to relieve your mind, because you are dear to me also. I love you very much, Parfion, and now I shall go away, and never come back again. Good-bye." The prince rose. "'Stay a little,' said Parfion, not leaving his chair and resting his head on his right hand. "'I haven't seen you for a long time.' The prince sat down again. Both were silent for a few moments. When you are not with me, I hate you, Lyof Nikolaevitch. I have loathed you every day of these three months since I last saw you. By heaven I have, said Rogozhin. I could have poisoned you at any minute. Now you have been with me but a quarter of an hour, and all my malice seems to have melted away, and you are as dear to me as ever. Stay here a little longer. When I am with you, you trust me. 
"'But as soon as my back is turned you suspect me,' said the prince, smiling, and trying to hide his emotion. "'I trust your voice when I hear you speak. I quite understand that you and I cannot be put on a level, of course.' "'Why did you add that? There, now you are cross again,' said the prince, wondering. "'We were not asked, you see. We were made different, with different tastes and feelings, without being consulted. You say you love her with pity. I have no pity for her. She hates me, that's the plain truth of the matter. I dream of her every night, and always that she is laughing at me with another man. And so she does laugh at me. She thinks no more of marrying me than if she were changing her shoe.' would you believe it i haven't seen her for five days and i daren't go near her she asks me what i come for as if she were not content with having disgraced me disgraced you how just as though you didn't know why she ran away from me and went to you you admitted it yourself just now but surely you do not believe that she that she did not disgrace me at moscow with that officer Zemtyushnikov. I know for certain she did, after having fixed our marriage-day herself. Impossible! cried the prince. I know it for a fact, replied Rogozhin with conviction. It is not like her, you say. My friend, that's absurd. Perhaps such an act would horrify her if she were with you, but it is quite different where I am concerned. She looks on me as vermin. Her affair with Keller was simply to make a laughing-stock of me. You don't know what a fool she made of me in Moscow, and the money I spent over her. The money! The money! And you can marry her now, Parfion. What will come of it all? said the prince, with dread in his voice. Rogozhin gazed back gloomily, and with a terrible expression in his eyes but said nothing. "'I haven't been to see her for five days,' he repeated after a slight pause. "'I'm afraid of being turned out. She says she's still her own mistress, and may turn me off altogether and go abroad. She told me this herself,' he said with a peculiar glance at Muishkin. "'I think she often does it merely to frighten me.' She is always laughing at me for some reason or other, but at other times she's angry and won't say a word, and that's what I'm afraid of. I took her a shawl one day, the like of which she might never have seen, although she did live in luxury, and she gave it away to her maid, Katya. Sometimes, when I can keep away no longer, I steal past the house on the sly, and once I watched her at the gate till dawn. I thought something was going on, and she saw me from the window. She asked me what I should do if I found she had deceived me. I said, you know well enough. What did she know? cried the prince. How was I to tell? replied Rogozhin with an angry laugh. I did my best to catch her tripping in Moscow, but did not succeed. However, I caught hold of her one day and said, "'You are engaged to be married into a respectable family, and you know what sort of woman you are.' "'That's the sort of woman you are,' I said. 
You told her that? Yes. Well, go on. She said, I wouldn't even have you for a footman now, much less for a husband. I shan't leave the house, I said, so it doesn't matter. Then I shall call somebody and have you kicked out, she cried. So then I rushed at her and beat her till she was bruised all over. Impossible, cried the prince, aghast. I tell you, it's true, said Rogozhin quietly, but with eyes ablaze with passion. Then for a day and a half I neither slept nor ate nor drank, and would not leave her. I knelt at her feet. I shall die here, I said, if you don't forgive me, and if you have me turned out I shall drown myself, because what should I be without you now? She was like a madwoman all that day. Now she would cry, now she would threaten me with a knife, now she would abuse me. She called in Zaleshev and Keller, and showed me to them, shamed me in their presence. Let's all go to the theatre, she says, and leave him here if he won't go. It's not my business. They'll give you some tea, Parfion Semyonovitch, while I'm away, for you must be hungry. She came back from the theatre alone. Those cowards wouldn't come, she said. They are afraid of you, and try to frighten me, too. He won't go away as he came, they said. He'll cut your throat. See if he doesn't. Now I shall go to my bedroom, and I shall not even lock my door, just to show you how much I am afraid of you. You must be shown that once for all. Did you have tea? No, I said, and I don't intend to. Ha! <laughs> you are playing off your pride against your stomach. That sort of heroism doesn't sit well on you, she said. With that she did as she had said she would. She went to bed and did not lock her door. In the morning she came out. Are you quite mad? she said sharply. Why, you'll die of hunger like this. Forgive me, I said. No, I won't, and I won't marry you. I've said it. Surely you haven't sat in this chair all night without sleeping. I didn't sleep, I said. Hmm, how sensible of you. And are you going to have no breakfast or dinner today? I told you I wouldn't. Forgive me. You've no idea how unbecoming this sort of thing is to you, she said. It's like putting a saddle on a cow's back. Do you think you are frightening me? My word, what a dreadful thing that you should sit here and eat no food. How terribly frightened I am. She wasn't angry long, and didn't seem to resent my offence at all. I was surprised, for she is a vindictive, resentful woman. But then I thought perhaps she despised me too much to feel any resentment against me. And that's the truth. She came up to me and said, Do you know who the Pope of Rome is? I've heard of him, I said. I suppose you've read the universal history, Parfion Semyonovitch, haven't you? She asked. I've learned nothing at all, I said. Then I'll lend it to you to read. 
you must know there was a roman pope once and he was very angry with a certain emperor so the emperor came and neither ate nor drank but knelt before the pope's palace till he should be forgiven and what sort of vows do you think that the emperor was making during all those days on his knees stop i'll read it to you then she read me a lot of verses where it said that the emperor spent all the time vowing vengeance against the pope you don't mean to say you don't approve of the poem parfion semyonovitch she says all you have read out is perfectly true say i ha <laughs> says she you admit it's true do you and you are making vows to yourself that if i marry you you will remind me of all this and take it out of me i don't know i say perhaps i was thinking like that and perhaps i was not i'm not thinking of anything just now what are your thoughts then i'm thinking that when you rise from your chair and go past me i watch you and follow you with my eyes if your dress does but rustle my heart sinks if you leave the room i remember every little word and action and what your voice sounded like and what you said i thought of nothing all last night but sat here listening to your sleeping breath and heard you move a little twice and as for your attack upon me she says i suppose you never once thought of that perhaps i did think of it and perhaps not i say and what if i don't either forgive you or marry you i tell you i shall go and drown myself hm she said and then relapsed into silence then she got angry and went out i suppose you'd murder me before you drowned yourself though she cried as she left the room an hour later she came to me again looking melancholy i will marry you parfion semyonovitch she says not because i'm frightened of you but because it's all the same to me how i ruin myself and how can i do it better sit down they'll bring you some dinner directly and if i do marry you i'll be a faithful wife to you you need not doubt that then she thought a bit and said at all events you are not a flunkey at first i thought you were no better than a flunkey and she arranged the wedding and fixed the day straight away on the spot then in another week she had run away again and came here to lebedieff's and when i found her here she said to me i'm not going to renounce you altogether but i wish to put off the wedding a bit longer yet just as long as i like for i am still my own mistress so you may wait if you like that's how the matter stands between us now what do you think of all this lef nikolaevitch what do you think of it yourself replied the prince looking sadly at rogozhin as if i can think anything about it i he was about to say more but stopped in despair the prince rose again as if he would leave at all events i shall not interfere with you he murmured as though making answer to some secret thought of his own i'll tell you what 
cried rogozhin and his eyes flashed fire i can't understand your yielding her to me like this i don't understand it have you given up loving her altogether at first you suffered badly i know it i saw it besides why did you come post haste after us out of pity eh? <laughs> his mouth curved in a mocking smile do you think i am deceiving you asked the prince no i trust you but i can't understand it seems to me that your pity is greater than my love a hungry longing to speak his mind out seemed to flash in the man's eyes combined with an intense anger your love is mingled with hatred and therefore when your love passes there will be the greater misery said the prince i tell you this parfion what that i'll cut her throat you mean the prince shuddered you'll hate her afterwards for all your present love and for all the torment you are suffering on her account now what seems to me the most extraordinary thing is that she can again consent to marry you after all that has passed between you when i heard the news yesterday i could hardly bring myself to believe it why she has run twice from you from the very altar rails as it were she must have some presentiment of evil what can she want with you now your money nonsense besides i should think you must have made a fairly large hole in your fortune already surely it is not because she is so very anxious to find a husband she could find many a one besides yourself any one would be better than you because you will murder her and i feel sure she must know that but too well by now is it because you love her so passionately indeed that may be it i have heard that there are women who want just that kind of love but still the prince paused reflectively what are you grinning at my father's portrait again for asked rogozhin suddenly he was carefully observing every change in the expression of the prince's face i smiled because the idea came into my head that if it were not for this unhappy passion of yours you might have and would have become just such a man as your father and that very quickly too you'd have settled down in this house of yours with some silent and obedient wife you would have spoken rarely trusted no one heeded no one and thought of nothing but making money laugh away she said exactly the same almost word for word when she saw my father's portrait it's remarkable how entirely you and she are at one nowadays what has she been here asked the prince with curiosity yes she looked long at the portrait and asked all about my father you'd be just such another she said at last and laughed you have such strong passions parfion she said that they'd have taken you to siberia in no time if you had not luckily intelligence as well 
for you have a good deal of intelligence she said this believe it or not the first time i ever heard anything of that sort from her you'd soon have thrown up all this rowdyism that you indulge in now and you'd have settled down to quiet steady money-making because you have little education and here you'd have stayed just like your father before you and you'd have loved your money so that you'd amass not two million like him but ten million and you'd have died of hunger on your money-bags to finish up with for you carry everything to extremes there that's exactly word for word as she said it to me she never talked to me like that before she always talks nonsense and laughs when she's with me we went all over this old house together i shall change all this i said or else i'll buy a new house for the wedding no no she said don't touch anything leave it all as it is i shall live with your mother when i marry you i took her to see my mother and she was as respectful and kind as though she were her own daughter mother has been almost demented ever since father died she's an old woman she sits and bows from her chair to everyone she sees if you left her alone and didn't feed her for three days i don't believe she would notice it well i took her hand and i said give your blessing to this lady mother she's going to be my wife so nastasia kissed mother's hand with great feeling she must have suffered terribly hasn't she she said she saw this book lying here before me what have you begun to read russian history she asked she told me once in moscow you know that i had better get solovyev's russian history and read it because i knew nothing that's good she said you go on like that reading books i'll make you a list myself of the books you ought to read first shall i she had never once spoken to me like this before it was the first time i felt i could breathe before her like a living creature i'm very very glad to hear of this parfion said the prince with real feeling who knows maybe god will yet bring you near to one another never never cried rogozhin excitedly look here parfion if you love her so much surely you must be anxious to earn her respect and if you do so wish surely you may hope to i said just now that i considered it extraordinary that she could still be ready to marry you well though i cannot yet understand it i feel sure she must have some good reason or she wouldn't do it she is sure of your love but besides that she must attribute something else to you some good qualities otherwise the thing would not be what you have just said confirms my words you say yourself that she found it possible to speak to you quite differently from her usual manner you are suspicious you know and jealous therefore when anything annoying happens to you you exaggerate its significance of course of course she does not think so ill of you as you say why if she did 
she would simply be walking to death by drowning or by the knife with her eyes wide open when she married you it is impossible as if anybody would go to their death deliberately rogozhin listened to the prince's excited words with a bitter smile his conviction was apparently unalterable how dreadfully you look at me parfion said the prince with a feeling of dread water or the knife said the latter at last <laughs> that's exactly why she is going to marry me because she knows for certain that the knife awaits her prince can it be that you don't even yet see what's at the root of it all i don't understand you perhaps he really doesn't understand me they do say that you are a you know what she loves another there you can understand that much just as i love her exactly so she loves another man and that other man is do you know who it's you there you didn't know that eh i you you she has loved you ever since that day her birthday only she thinks she cannot marry you because it would be the ruin of you everybody knows what sort of a woman i am she says she told me all this herself to my very face she's afraid of disgracing and ruining you she says but it doesn't matter about me she can marry me all right notice how much consideration she shows for me but why did she run away to me and then again from me to from you to me <laughs> that's nothing why she always acts as though she were in a delirium nowadays either she says come on i'll marry you let's have the wedding quickly and fixes the day and seems in a hurry for it and when it begins to come near she feels frightened or else some other idea gets into her head goodness knows you've seen her you know how she goes on laughing and crying and raving there's nothing extraordinary about her having run away from you she ran away because she found out how dearly she loved you she could not bear to be near you you said just now that i had found her at moscow when she ran away from you i didn't do anything of the sort she came to me herself straight from you name the day i'm ready she said let's have some champagne and go and hear the gypsies sing i tell you she'd have thrown herself into the water long ago if it were not for me she doesn't do it because i am perhaps even more dreadful to her than the water she's marrying me out of spite if she marries me i tell you it will be for spite but how do you how can you began the prince gazing with dread and horror at rogozhin why don't you finish your sentence shall i tell you what you were thinking to yourself just then you were thinking how can she marry him after this how can it possibly be permitted oh i know what you were thinking about i didn't come here for that purpose parfion that was not in my mind that may be 
perhaps you didn't come with the idea but the idea is certainly there now <laughs> well that's enough what are you upset about didn't you really know it all before you astonish me all this is mere jealousy it is some malady of yours parfion you exaggerate everything said the prince excessively agitated what are you doing let go of it said parfion seizing from the prince's hand a knife which the latter had at that moment taken up from the table where it lay beside the history parfion replaced it where it had been i seemed to know it i felt it when i was coming back to petersburg continued the prince i did not want to come i wished to forget all this to uproot it from my memory altogether well good-bye what is the matter he had absently taken up the knife a second time and again rogozhin snatched it from his hand and threw it down on the table it was a plain-looking knife with a bone handle a blade about eight inches long and broad in proportion it did not clasp seeing that the prince was considerably struck by the fact that he had twice seized this knife out of his hand rogozhin caught it up with some irritation put it inside the book and threw the latter across to another table do you cut your pages with it or what asked muishkin still rather absently as though unable to throw off a deep preoccupation into which the conversation had thrown him yes it's a garden knife isn't it yes can't one cut pages with a garden knife it's quite new well what of that can't i buy a new knife if i like shouted rogozhin furiously his irritation growing with every word the prince shuddered and gazed fixedly at parfion suddenly he burst out laughing why what an idea he said i didn't mean to ask you any of these questions i was thinking of something quite different but my head is heavy and i seem so absent-minded nowadays well good-bye i can't remember what i wanted to say good-bye not that way said rogozhin there i've forgotten that too this way come along i'll show you end of part two chapter three recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey